there are some notes on my left, <clears throat> and we'll, we'll probably, I think, get through half of the chapter. I wanted to do the whole thing, but I don't want to go so long. I know some of us may be tired. We'll see how it goes, but pray as we read and seek to open up Second Kings chapter 11, Second Kings chapter 11. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal offspring. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Azariah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death, and placed him and his nurse in the bedroom. So they hid him from Athaliah, and he was not put to death. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord six years, while Athaliah was reigning over the land. Now, in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the hundreds of the Karaites and of the guard and brought them, brought him in the house of the Lord. Then he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. He commanded them, saying, This is the thing that you shall do. One-third of you who come in on the Sabbath and keep watch over the king's house, one-third also shall be at the gate, sir, and one-third at the gate behind the guards, shall keep watch over the house for defense. Two parts of you, even all who go out on the Sabbath, shall also keep watch over the house of the Lord for the king. Then you shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand, and whoever comes within the ranks shall be put to death. And be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. So the captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And each one of them took his men who were to come in on the Sabbath with those who were to go out on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. The priest gave to the captains of the hundreds the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. The guards stood each with his weapons in his hand from the right side of the house to the left side of the house, by the altar and by the house around the king. Then he brought the king's son out and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they made him king and anointed him and clapped their hands and said, Long live the king! When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she came to the people in the house of the Lord. She looked, and behold, the king was standing by the pillar, according to the custom, with the captains and the trumpeters beside the king, and all the people of the land rejoiced and blew trumpets. Then Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds who were appointed over the army and said to them, Bring her out between the ranks. 
and whoever follows her put to death with the sword. For the priest said, Let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they seized her, and when she arrived at the horse's entrance of the king's house, she was put to death there. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people, also between the king and the people. All the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images they broke in pieces thoroughly and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. He took the captains of the hundreds and the Karaites and the guards and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and came by the way of the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he sat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet. For they had put Athaliah to death with the sword at the king's house. Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. Again, we have this amazing story, this chapter, which covers just about seven years. If you noted, uh, in I believe it was verse 3, he was hid for six years, and just two verses, six years, expire. And then in the seventh year, whether it was day one of that seventh, we don't know, but six plus years in one chapter. Sometimes the Bible leaps, sometimes we have decades, but here a chapter covering six to seven years where David's line almost goes extinct. David's line of kings, that is, in particular. And thus our title, David's Lamp Kept Lit by God. David's Lamp Kept Lit by God. Did you notice these vivid characters? Athaliah. She's really like a mini Jezebel, some think Jezebel was her mother. We don't know, but she is definitely like Jezebel, and then this woman, Jehosheba, Jehosheba, and Jehoiada. Amazing characters in God's providence. Now, do you remember last time, two weeks ago, when we looked at chapter 10, verses 18 to the end? Do you remember the theme, something that was repeated over and over and over? Do you remember sort of the theme of that section? I know you were up late, some of you. Yes, and what was he, what was repeated in that section over and over and over again? What did he do? What did he destroy? The house of Baal. Like it was mentioned six times, the house of Baal. And then in this chapter, we saw a parallel repeat, repeated phrase, ten Times. Did you catch what it was? I know. I had a lot of time over the last two weeks to read it. The house of the Lord is mentioned ten times. Ten times. So in the previous section, the house of Baal, the house of Baal, the house of Baal, and then coming to chapter 11, the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord. There is a contrast 
from the author's perspective, ultimately the Holy Spirit with the house of Baal and the house of the Lord, which gets our attention and it's, it's very intertwined and we'll see several parallels as we move forth. Definitely, at a minimum, we can see false religion contrasted with the true religion in these two sections. And ultimately, in this chapter and all through the Bible, though we really don't see God mentioned as acting, we see the house of the Lord. We don't see, and the Lord told him to do this, and the Lord said to do this. We see God's hand behind this, and that's why I said, David's lamp kept lit by God. We see God's hand, and some parts of the Bible don't mention God. For example, the book of Esther. I don't believe God is mentioned at all by name in Esther, but we see his hand through it. It's similar in this chapter. We see God doing something amazing. And if you'd like to, this afternoon, you can read Second uh, Chronicles 22 and 23. Those are parallel sections, sort of like the Synoptic Gospels. We have a lot of parallels at times with Kings and Chronicles, particularly with the house, excuse me, um, the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. Well, yes, ma'am. Yes, God always has a purpose, and even when wicked men and evil seems to abound, he is working in and through for his own purposes, and that gives us encouragement. Don't steal my thunder yet. Yes, she is a wicked woman, and I'm glad you caught that, because sometimes as we read, Unless we slow down a bit, we can miss that. So it's a great catch. And there's a lot of relatives uh, throughout these chapters, which is, which is a lot of the problem to a degree. So, so hold that thought. That's excellent. Thank you for catching that. Just to quote a verse from Second Chronicles 29, it says, So there was no one of the house of Ahaziah to retain the power of the kingdom. Remember, this is the southern kingdom. And if you still have your chart of the kings, it's the chart on the left, Judah, the southern kingdom. And we have Queen Athaliah listed there for six years. If you still have the chart, if you need one, uh, let me know. But we're talking about the southern kingdom of Judah. We were dealing with the northern kingdom primarily where Jehu uh, became king. And now we're in the southern kingdom And we'll begin at verse 1. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal offspring. We read about Ahaziah being killed by Jehu in 9.27.28. And this Athaliah uh, is the wife of Joram, or Jehoram, king of Judah, who Jehu also uh, killed. Did I have that right? And the mother of Ahaziah that was just mentioned, the daughter of Ahab, she, she was, and the granddaughter of Amri. And that was mentioned previously. 
So she had wicked lineage from Ahab and then all the way back to Omri, sort of the founder of that mini-dynasty, as it's called. Her husband had already been killed, as we mentioned, Joram. And her husband actually had killed all of his brothers uh, as well. There's a lot of infuting and killing of relatives So there's a lot of blood already in her house as her husband killed all of his own brothers. And further, Jehu had also killed, as we studied in the previous chapter, the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers. And those that may include at least those 42 relatives that Jehu also killed in the mentioned in the previous chapter. So there was much bloodletting much killing of relatives, of families uh, uh, in the southern kingdom. But that's not enough for her. It says that she rose and destroyed all the royal offspring. And as our sister noted, she is the grandmother of this of this boy that survives, but apparently she killed all of her own grandchildren. And if we pause and we think of our grandmothers, most of us had grandmothers and, and they were so sweet and so kind, sometimes kinder than your own parents. Um, she killed her grandchildren and she may have killed her own sons as well. Uh, she has had sons. It's mentioned elsewhere, even in chapter ten thirteen, when they said we're coming down to see the queen mother and her sons. She may have killed her own sons and her grandsons. Lesson one of nine. Stand appalled at the depraved mind. Stand appalled at the depraved mind. A woman, God made women generally much gentler than men. Much more patient, much uh, more kind, gracious Uh, dealing with children with tenderness. And yet this one committed mass murder. The depraved mind. Paul said it this way, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, Greed. You see the greed of Athaliah wanting that throne for herself? God gave her over to greed, evil, full of envy, murder. Murderers are given up. We could all hate, and and Jesus taught us if we hate someone, it's as if we've killed them. When God gives someone up, they're not only hating in their heart, they actually commit the murder. Strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. She wanted to extinguish the house of David for good. And she almost did, from a human point of view. Insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving. A grandmother who killed her grandchildren. Unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, she had heard of the truth of God from Elijah and Elisha and other true prophets. Even even her grandfather or her father-in-law was Jehoshaphat. 
the godly king of Judah. She knew about the true God, but she hardened her heart and was given up to her sin to become such a wretched murderer. Those who practice such things are worthy of death. Stand appalled at the depraved mind. This woman was given up to murder her own grandchildren. We see the sinfulness of sin in these characters. Riken called her the Jezebel of Judah. She was very much like her. Whether Jezebel was her mother or stepmother, we don't know. Uh, these kings had several wives, and so it's not always recorded who the mother even was, but she acts like Jezebel, who killed the prophets and many others. Well, we move from Ahaziah's mother, Athaliah, to Ahaziah's sister in verse 2. But... Jehosheba, or Jehosheba. Jehosheba. But, there's a big contrast. I love this. Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, but Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death and placed him and his nurse in the bedroom. So they hid him from Athaliah, and he was not put to death. Athaliah was the ruiner of Judah, but Jehosheba was the rescuer of Judah. What an unlikely hero in one sense. uh, Someone that we could seek to emulate and learn something from. Maybe someone that we could put in Hebrews 11 down at the bottom. Uh, Here's another one we could add, Jehosheba. It's not someone we normally think about, but hopefully after today, at least we'll be familiar with Jehosheba, this wonderful, God-fearing sister of Ahaziah, the aunt of this little boy. She's rescuing her nephew, Joash. And he's only one year old or less. The other babies and boys are being murdered And somehow, by God's kindness, she rescues the baby and his nurse. It's interesting what the Bible notes. She had likely a wet nurse, a nurse taking care of him. And she rescued the baby and the nurse. We don't hear about his mother. Was he sort of kidnapped? That's what the, the verse says. He was stolen, in a sense, for good. The mother is going to be mentioned in 12, verse 1. The mother was Zibiah of Beersheba. That's the mother of Joash. But this auntie rescues her nephew. Also note that Jehosheba is the wife of Jehoiada the priest. We need to get to Chronicles to find that out. Um, but you'll see the closeness of this couple as they rescue Joash. But just note that she is the wife of the priest um, that we will read about momentarily. This bedroom, it says that she's taken into, the nurse and the baby are taken into the bedroom. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, says, this was a room where spare furniture and mattresses were stored by the priest's quarters adjacent to the temple. So 
the king's house and the temple were very close. It was like a complex. And who knows how they had built these buildings right next to each other and had doorways and entrances and so forth. But they, they, they put the boy and the wet nurse into this bedroom, uh, the storage closet maybe. Uh, he was hid or even the room of Jehosheba and her husband. It's not exactly clear, but they're put in this room. The, the courage of Jehosheba to rescue seemingly the only heir to the throne that we know about. The, the, the Davidic line is about to go extinct. The, the kingly line, there's nobody left but this one little baby, and God rescues him by the hand of Jehosheba by putting him in a closet. For six years, not just in the closet, but in, in a very small hidden place. But thinking about Jehosheba and her courage, lesson two, faithful service to God has great implications for good. Faithful service to God has great implications for good. Lord, make us like Jehosheba. She took a great risk. She could have surely been put to death and her husband. But she knew somehow, it doesn't say that God led her or she heard the voice of God or an angel told her. However she did it, she knew that she had to rescue at least this one baby, this little tiny baby that was still being nursed and the baby's nurse so that the kingly line of David could be preserved. And as we read in a previous chapter, so that the lamp of David would still be lit. Riken said, by God's grace, you know the song, Dare to be a Daniel? Well, dare to be a Jehosheba. It doesn't rhyme as well, but maybe we can say that around the meal today. Dare to be a Jehosheba. What area do you need to step out in courage and follow the Lord? Maybe it's taking a risk. Maybe it's a bit risky to to serve the Lord. Maybe it will exhaust you. Maybe you don't have the energy. But maybe we need to follow her example and be more courageous to step out by faith and see what God would do with this this young woman, Jehosheba, and her husband to preserve the line of David where the Messiah would come from. Where were all the men? Where were all the warriors? It's this auntie who rescued her nephew. Praise the Lord for the courage of Jehosheba. Dare to be a Jehosheba. Let us follow her example and serve the Lord in such a way. Verse 3. So she, excuse me, so he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord six years while Athaliah was reigning over the land. Again, six years. I was thinking this morning, we reflect as we come to the new year, what happened over the last year. Can you, can you remember a year ago? My, my memory is blank for the most part. Six years the boy was hidden from the queen. That's a long time. Six years. What perseverance, what courage to rescue this little boy in the house of the Lord. Again, there's this stark contrast, just numerically counting up, 
chapter 10 had all those references to the house of Baal and here the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord was the place where this boy was rescued. And you'll find in the next chapter, what does he do and what does he become? A restorer of the house of the Lord. He's raised in the house of the Lord. And as he gets older and as he becomes a man and a godly king for a season, he has a reformation that does great things. But sadly, he has a great fall. But at least... In God's providence, he's preserved in the house of the Lord six years while this wretched, wicked woman, Athaliah, was reigning over the land. She was a usurper. It doesn't say Athaliah was the queen of Judah. It doesn't say, and Athaliah reigned uh, six years over Judah. She doesn't have that formula of the kings of Judah in, in in the scripture. But because she was a usurper, she was not valid. She was idolater. She was a foreigner uh, in a real sense, only in the tribe of Judah, not in the tribe, but related to the tribe by marriage to Joram, son of Jehoshaphat. She thought she had succeeded in extinguishing the house of David. And she was happy-go-lucky for six years. Yet God had another purpose for this little baby becoming a little boy, learning to walk. And and you can draw parallels and see, at least in God's providence, um, parallels how God can use and preserve a baby for his purposes. Of course, ultimately, we see that in our Lord Jesus, a baby being the savior of the world. You can't go too far. One author called this uh, chapter Jehoshaphat. Uh, the, the the rescuer of Christmas, you know, it's a little crazy, but you can you can see the point to a degree. This godly couple is hiding the baby for six years in the temple in their quarters. Then jumping to just listen to Chronicles statement before we hit verse four. Now in the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself. He took courage. He has a plan. He's, and I like comparing these uh, Kings and Chronicles. Chronicles adds that he strengthened himself. He took courage. Now, back to Kings, verse 4. Now, in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the hundreds of the Karaites and of the guard and brought them to him in the house of the Lord. Then he made a covenant with them and put them under the oath in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Jehoiada was encouraged. He had six years to plan this out, to pray over it, to think about it. And now the time had come and he strengthened himself by the Holy Spirit's power. He took courage to move forward with his plan in the seventh year to establish Joash as the king the rightful king of Judah against this usurper. And by the way, Chronicles calls Jehoiada the chief priest. He had a lot of authority, so it seems he was uh, a chief priest. Uh, To what degree, it's not always clear, but definitely he's called the chief priest. He brought in these captains of the hundreds, these company commanders, 
or battalion commanders, the, the captains of the, the military. And it mentions these Karaites, an interesting name, and it's believed that they were mercenaries from Korea, which is south of Ephesus. God uses unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. Mercenaries from this area hired, were they converted to the true God? We don't know anything except they were part of the group that would protect the king and execute justice. Jehoiada the priest took his role very seriously and he told these men, these leaders, and he convinced them and to make a covenant. He made a covenant with them and he put them under oath. They couldn't let the secret get out lest Athaliah come and kill the baby in the house of the Lord. And I love at the end, he not only was so serious, he made a covenant, he put them under oath and then finally and showed them the king's son. They had this this military tribunal, this planning, strategic planning session of what they would do to protect the king. And then he said, men, here's why we're doing all this. Here's this six or seven year old boy. There's the king of Judah. Nobody knew. Seven, six and seven years later, they thought all was lost and wicked Athaliah was on the throne. But there's hope. There's a king. And here he is, this boy. This is who you're going to fight for, men. And he showed them the king's son. I think to draw out their affections and to show this was no joke. This was the real deal. He gives them specific instructions in verses 5 and 6. He commanded them, saying, This is the thing you shall do. Now, this gets confusing. You can compare translations, but get the gist of it at least. This is the thing you shall do. One third of you who come in on the Sabbath and keep watch over the king's house, one third also shall be at the gate, sir, and one third at the gate behind the guards, shall keep watch over the house for defense. And the NASB has a parenthesis in there. Again, trying to clarify the difficulty in the Hebrew text, but at least notice the organization. There's these three groups and coming in to the house to guard. It's unclear how much of it's the king's house. It will be the house of the Lord in the next verse. But just focus on the main thing. They're organized. They have a plan. A third at the king's house. A third at the gate, sir. A third at the gate behind the guards. He has a very detailed plan. Why? For defense. To defend the boy king. Again, One author points out that the temple and the palace complexes were adjacent with many guarded doors between them. Think of a complex uh, castle, maybe hidden passageways, maybe back doors, side doors. There was a lot of ways that the bad people could get in and try to kill the baby king. Verse 7, further divisions in the guards. Two parts of you... Even all who go out on the Sabbath shall also keep watch over the house of the Lord for the king. Keep watch over this boy king. Verse 8, then you shall surround the king 
each one with his weapons in his hand, and whoever comes within the rank shall be put to death and be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in, when he's going about his task on that day when this plan will be enacted. Now, right there when it said, when they come out of the ranks, he shall be put to death. Did that sound familiar to something in the previous chapter? I know it was two weeks ago. When Jehu told them, if anybody tries to get out, you kill them. There's a lot of parallels, and you see the justice of God against his enemies in the house of Baal. And yet here, God having a plan to protect the seed of David in in very similar language. They had to have their weapons in hand to protect the king. The leaders of these hundreds respond, verse 9. So the captains of the hundreds did all, excuse me, did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. I love that. They're obedient soldiers. They did according to all that he commanded. And each one of them took his men who were to come in. They're coming in on duty on the Sabbath with those who were to go out on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada, the priest. They're doing what he said. They're going in. They're coming out. They're enacting the plan to eventually here crown the new king. They were found faithful in all that they did. You, you, we need faithful brothers and sisters. God uses these faithful people to accomplish his purposes. Verse 10. The priest gave to the captains of the hundreds the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. Verse 11, the guards stood each with his weapon in his hand from the right side of the house to the left side of the house by the altar and by the house around the king. So you can picture this defensive position. They are going all around, and Chronicles mentions that the Levites were there as well, surrounding the king with swords drawn. Whether these spears and shields were symbolic or some additional weapons, it's unclear, but maybe they were credentialing and saying, these were David's, now they're yours. These weapons that were several hundred years old, or at least remade, as it were, replicas to remember the victories and triumphs of David. They were given these spears and and, uh, shields. So all of these military men and the Levites were gathered around the king. Just picture it in your mind's eye. It must have been amazing and terrifying, all for the purpose of God. But I wanted to pause and just encourage us to think about something hermeneutically. How we interpret the Bible. Lesson three. We must understand the differences in the covenants. We must understand the difference in the covenants or of the covenants. Why do I say that? Well, in the old covenant, worship and warfare were combined. They were in the house of God with all these weapons. And kings and kingdoms were physical We have no physical warfare in the new covenant. 
That is a stark and obvious contrast in the covenants. We have no uh, visible king. We have the unseen king, King Jesus, the fulfillment of all these kings. And his kingdom is spiritual, set up in the hearts of his people. Yes, we have warfare, but it's spiritual. Let your mind think for a moment of all the horrific things that have happened by confusing the covenants. Think through church history how nations have tried to act like the nation of Judah. And even some people who used to come to our church here at Pilgrim Bible had the seeds of this heresy. That the church could take up swords, if you will. Could you imagine if we have our hymnals and all of our stuff back here? What if we had weapons? And we were going to take over the town of Stilicum. It's laughable. But through church history, there has been a lot of confusion about the covenants. And even our phrase, when this boy is crowned and they shout, uh, Long live the king! Now, I'm not saying it's sinful to have kings. But the kings of this earth and the queens of this earth, earth are not the head of the church. And do you know that still exists in Anglicanism? Now, they're not out fighting with swords, but it happened in the Crusades and other times. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. We are in spiritual warfare. We have a king. There are parallels to the covenants. There is a warfare, but this lesson cannot be missed. There are extreme differences in the covenants. We are to pray for our enemies, not kill them. And I hope you, like me, love the Old Testament. It is a delight to study the Old and the New Testament. But if we miss out on this key hermeneutical principle, we need to see the differences between the covenants. And by God's grace, I trust that in, in, in these extreme examples that I gave, none of us are tempted to those. But praise the Lord. He, we're not in, we don't have that temptation. Lord, keep us and, and clarify for us. Yes, we can learn lessons from them, but we are not to go and do likewise. May God keep us pure and, and sanctify us and make us a pure church. Yes, brother. Yes, yes, brother, thank you. Yes, we're called on earth the church militant and the church in heaven the church victorious. And yes, but it needs a clarification. Yes, we are militant. We are called to put on the full armor of God. We are fighting the Christian fight. We must press on in the fight. There are many metaphors uh, in, in the, the armor of God. I just read Ephesians 6 this week. We have to take up the full armor of God. We have to fight the good fight. But we are not to take shields, physical shields and swords and weapons and kill the enemies of God. And that is vital and critical. And, and great horrors have been done when this is mixed up. Terrible travesties by the church. The Inquisition 
And but for God's grace, it could happen again. But even those seeds must be snuffed out. There are a lot of parallels and, and things that are the same in the covenants, but there's a lot of differences. You can have a whole study. Do you have another another one comment? Okay, thank you, brother. Good, good point. A little aside, but again, I think it's worthwhile to pause and just see when our church moved to this facility, we put everything in the back of the Douglas's minivan. I love that. We don't have a lot of stuff. We surely don't have guns and law rockets and and swords and, and weapons. God forbid. And there's good reason for that. Well, we will pause there. And just in review, we only had the three lessons, but we see God's power. God's power to preserve the kingly line of David, the lamp. The lamp was kept lit by God. And it's amazing that he used this beautiful anti-Jehoshaphat and uncle the high priest Jehoiada to preserve this baby, this little baby, less than one year old, most likely, from the sword of his own grandmother. God preserved him in the temple, in the house of God for a purpose. And we will we will move forward next week. Uh, just a reminder also, we had our first lesson was stand appalled at the depraved mind we looked at this wicked woman, Athaliah. She is cursed, like her at least uh, stepmother, Jezebel. She was a very wicked woman. And then we said, faithful service to God has great implications for good. Let us dare to be a Jehoshaphat. Well, with that, we'll conclude. If you have comments or questions, please come see me. And may God help us to profit from this portion of his word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your beautiful plan of salvation, that you made this promise that you would seat one of David's descendants on a throne and ultimately your throne, the very Son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may we have eyes of faith to see literally the line was about to be extinguished, yet you preserved a little baby boy named Joash by the the courage of Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada, her husband, Lord, with swords and spears and violence. Yet all of this would be to bring forth our Savior. We thank you that you rescued us, and may we flee from the depraved mind. We do stand appalled when we see it in the Scripture, when we see it in the world, and most of all, when we see any remaining depravity in our hearts, Lord. Keep us humble, Lord, even as we had this strong warning to not confuse the covenants, Lord. It's by your grace that we understand anything. What do we have that we have not received? You are the God of all grace. May May you put these things in our minds and our memories and help us to do the word. Be with us as we continue to worship you today. For Christ's sake, amen.